Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, CBS scores a home run with NWSL, how MLS TV ratings did in the knockout stage, we share our take on CBS's Champions League schedule, the latest update from the Scottish Premiership, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, um, this week we have probably the most amount of listener mailbag that we've ever received in doing this podcast, this version of this podcast, which has been what, for a few years now. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting to that. And we'll try to weave in some of those comments into some of the discussions we're having. But for listeners who haven't had a chance to hear this podcast before, we do a deep dive into watching soccer on TV, online, and through apps. So we cover everything from uh, our opinions and observations about uh, which are the best streaming services to use, as well as uh, our favorite commentators, um, our favorite parts of the, the production, and, and how wonderful some of the soccer coverage is, and sometimes how not so wonderful it is uh, also. So Kartik, I know we've got a lot to get to, but uh, we probably will kick it off with this. But what was your favorite match from uh, this past week that you watched? Um, I hate to do this to you, Chris, <laughs> uh, but it was the second like of Brentford Swansea. And uh, Ollie Watkins, who's been one of my favorite players in the championship now for uh, going back to when Dean Smith uh, managed Brentford. So now by what, three seasons, uh, two and a half seasons or so, uh, really came through on that counterattack early in the match. Uh, Swansea had, had stretched, I guess, pushing for a uh, for, for a second goal in the tie. And uh, the game was very open from there on out. Uh, obviously, a mistake led to the Swansea goal, a, a bad mistake from Brentford. But after that, there were some chances for the Swans. Uh, there was a there was an opportunity in stoppage time where Brewster just didn't get enough on his shot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sent it right to the keeper. Could have been uh, a, a potential uh, a match uh, a decider or sent, sent us to extra time. So uh, it was, I thought, a very entertaining match. Probably the second most entertaining match of the week was the first leg between these two teams. Uh, which uh, I, 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 that says a lot for both Swansea, your side, and, and Brentford, a side that I've uh, I don't consider myself a supporter of theirs, but I've, I've followed pretty closely the last few years. As everybody who, who follows me on Twitter knows, I've been raving about Brentford's setup and, and scouting for the last few seasons uh, and the football they played, particularly under Dean Smith, but now on, under Thomas Frank as well. Um, 
that may also speak pretty highly or lowly, if you want to say, about some of the other football we've seen this week. But uh, my two favorite matches were the two legs of this tie. Well, uh, obviously, you're unbiased. I, I'm very biased, just be, uh, be a, being a Swansea City supporter for all my life. Uh, for me, that second leg, honestly, Kartik, that was my favorite match of the week. And, and yes, Swansea lost the game. Uh, yes, they were one goal from c- coming back to, to equalize on, on aggregate, which would have sent the game into uh, extra time. And that, the feeling I had going late into that game was that if we could pull one goal back, that the momentum then would have shifted and, and, and Swansea would have had a really good chance to at least maybe uh, get a winner, you know, Andre Ayew or somebody, uh, in, or uh, Rian Brewster in the um, extra time. But um, I enjoyed watching it. And, and Carty, to be honest with you too, th- this season uh, for, for Swansea just to make it into the, the playoffs... Uh, for me, that was a crowning achievement. That I, I did not expect that. I was over the moon when they did that. Uh, really thrilled that they were able to make it into the playoffs, um, given the last couple of seasons where they've been usually mid-table. And then for Swansea to win that first game against Brentford, and, and I thought a really good performance. Uh, they were really kind of organized. And uh, for Swansea to win that first leg, I was over the moon. And so going into that that second leg against Brentford, uh, my expectations were low. I, I, I didn't expect Swansea to go through. Uh, if they did, no problem. This is probably one of the biggest matches, Kartik, that I've been the, the least nervous for. I, I was watching this match thinking, okay, I'm just going to enjoy it for the sheer beauty of it, just because I, I did not expect Swansea to get that far. And uh, for me, it's been a great season. And the playoffs add a whole... I mean, for the neutral... Uh, I think the playoffs add a whole level of excitement to this and to see which, if it's going to be Fulham, Cardiff or Brentford, uh, that will be going up to the Premier League uh, with Leeds and West Brom. Yeah, and uh, Fulham and and Brentford are maybe two, three miles apart, uh, their grounds. Uh, And uh, I guess I I tweeted yesterday on on, uh, Twitter about my experiences with Griffin Park, which is Brentford's uh, uh, ground that they're vacating after 116 years uh, as of this match. And and, uh, it is the closest venue to Heathrow Airport. So one of my memories of Griffin Park isn't actually about football there, but Every time uh, I come in on a flight that lands from uh, the from the east uh, into Heathrow, seeing advertising at the top of Griffin Park, which uh, is meant for people on airplanes to see. Right? I mean, yeah. that's how close to the airport it is. And Fulham is only a few miles away, so you could have – and Wembley is only a few miles from both. So you could have a, a bona fide West London derby in the championship playoff final, which will be great for American viewers on ESPN+. Plus, I have to say, the two sides play very, very different football. So uh, if you're a neutral and you're looking for entertainment uh, in the Premier League next season, maybe you want Brentford to win this. If you're a neutral and you're looking for a team that maybe tactically will be able to hang and has Premier League experience, most of their players or many of their players, then you're going to want Fulham. Uh, Fulham still has to win a second leg against Cardiff, obviously, uh, as we record this. But I'm uh, going ahead and assuming they well, I hope so. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you certainly. Do. <laughs> but, but but that's the thing, though, Kartik. For anyone, so you, your memories of uh, Griffin Park were from uh, either leaving or, or arriving at Heathrow uh, and seeing it from the air. For me personally, I, I'd never been to that grounds. But what, what my memories are taking the train from Wales to London, and that goes pretty close to, to Griffin Park, and you, you can see it in in the distance there. But um, but yeah, actually, same same memory on that uh, same same rail line, the rail line that goes east towards Reading and, and Swindon and, and, and Car- uh, Bristol and eventually Cardiff, uh, goes right by 
uh, Griffin Park. Right, exactly. So uh, 116 years at that stadium, and then they're moving about half a mile down the road for next season. And for them to, who knows, I mean, to be in the Premier League and to be uh, playing their first you know, game in the Premier League in their new stadium, that would be such a huge achievement. At the same time, too, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, Craven Cottage, just the history of that. Uh, they're expanding uh, Craven Cottage to, um, I think, the Riverside stand. So that's becoming a much bigger, more modern place, too, uh, but still has the cottage. And uh, I don't know, between the two of them, it's going to be... If it is going to be Fulham against Brentford, it's going to be a really, really good uh, clash in the final. I will just say this. I hope whoever wins that match uh, gives uh, Chelsea some fits next season in the Premier League because I there are Chelsea fans who tell me, ah, Fulham, they're not even really a, a rival. They're not. We, they're inconsequential towards Brentford. They're a, 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 a nothing club. Uh, the The general Chelsea fan I speak to sees QPR as the bigger local rival, right? Uh, and I think that's just because of a history of QPR, uh, either one ending up with former Chelsea players or two beating them when they've been in the same division, even though they're generally not as as good. Uh, that's even happened when QPR was in the Premier League most recently. They beat Chelsea a few times, if I remember correctly. So um, I'd, lo- I'd love to see uh, a real West London derby if it doesn't involve QPR and Chelsea emerge with Fulham or Brentford with Chelsea. So, Kartik, it's it's funny doing this podcast because um, we often get uh, some insults thrown at, at us, or some uh, some kind of p- people basically saying like, "Oh, you guys hate the Premier League. You, you guys just think the Premier League is dire. You guys just go off in the Premier League." Uh, and, and it can be true of anything too. I mean, in terms of uh, some of the abuse we get through social media, oftentimes, and um, I mean, t- I mean, honestly, this for, for Kartik and for myself, we speak our minds. So I think you can take, I mean, Kartik has, has uh, c- criticized heavily Manchester City many times. I've criticized Swansea City many times. Uh, but then we, we fall in love w- with a lot of the, the things, the positives that they do. And the same thing f- goes for the Premier League and for Major League Soccer and any club, any league, any confederation. We just speak speak our minds. So it, in the previous few weeks, Kartik, I've been surprised because we've gotten a lot of tweets about people saying like, oh, you guys hate the Premier League. And, and to be honest with you, I would say that since the time that World Soccer Talk started, which used to be called EPL Talk, and that was 2005, so it's been 15 years in the United States, we've probably been the most positive and, and covered the Premier League more than any other site or podcast in the United States. And uh, I think the only other, I guess, being I would I would give praise to that would have uh, really kind of given the Premier League a lot of focus would have been World Soccer Daily back in the day. So between World Soccer, Soccer Daily and EPL Talk that became World Soccer Talk... Oh. That's been the one that's really kind of helped Chris, people through the Premier League. Quite frankly, just to answer the criti- those critics, uh, I have gotten through the years so much from people even in the industry saying we're too biased towards the Premier League and we're too biased towards English football. Uh, so there is a balance we're, we're striking. And I think if we're angering both sides, if this is a, a sides debate, an ideological debate, which I don't know why it is, but it seems to be Premier League fans in the U.S. have some sort of uh, emotional ideological attachment to that league. And, and, and then the people who don't like the Premier League are the same way, right? They're very myopic. They're very nasty. They're very um, condescending about anything that's English or British, right? right. Um, if, we're, if we're angering both sides at times, I think we're probably doing a pretty good job. That's my yeah, thing, at least. Yeah, 
and and let's say Alexi Lalas would be kind of taking one side, uh, even if he doesn't believe that side, just to stir up debate. You, Kartik, speak your mind. I speak my mind. I'm, I'm honest, uh, as you are too. And we're independent, so we don't. We're not at- attached to a league or a, a large uh, media organization. So we, we're just speaking from from our hearts. Now, speaking, the reason I mentioned that Kartik is Championship Sunday. The last day in the Premier League season, the Premier League, Premier, League, uh, Premier League season finale, which every single year, for the most part, other than their QPR Man City, but every single year, for the most part, it's been underwhelming. But going into this, I mean, I didn't think it would be as, as more entertaining or as thrilling as the final day in the championship, uh, the, the actual EFL championship. But I had expectations because I thought, OK, maybe... Between the Aston Villa and the Watfords and the Bournemouths, something could happen there where you'd see kind of like down to the last minute, some you mean a late goal that would have changed everything, or even in the Leicester Man United and, and the Chelsea Wolves and um, those games, something something really, you mean really really exciting where you'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's happening right now. This is changing everything. And and Kartik, I think it was. Uh, I was so underwhelmed. Uh, I was watching the games, waiting for something, but all of the results seemed so predictable that uh, yeah. it wasn't that entertaining. It wasn't entertaining at all. The results were all predictable. And then it's funny when I talked about the predict- predictability of the Premier League, or not actually just of the Premier League of European leagues in general, because as much as I was uh, captivated by Serie A after the restart, it's become incredibly predictable the last few weeks, uh, and we, we can talk about that uh, after this. But uh, because there was a lot of Serie A action this week, and then Spain became incredibly predictable. Uh, it was a, an absolute bore. It was a waste of uh, two or three hours of my time, a waste of a lot of emotion. The hope uh, for me that. Born Bournemouth would stay up, the hope that uh, Leicester could somehow sneak into Champions League, uh, the hope that Wolves would give uh, uh, Chelsea a match. Although I have to tell you, uh, at uh, 10.15 Eastern time, when I saw Lampard wisely make the switch from uh, from uh, uh, Kepa yeah, to Caballero, I kind of knew, okay, well, Chelsea's <laughs> going to win and Lampard's not messing around. And uh, uh, to, uh, to to the people who responded to me on Twitter, uh, by the way, and this is not broadcast related, but they said, oh, well, that was an easy decision. It's never easy to drop your starting keeper, especially when there were forces at Chelsea, from my understanding, that were force, that were basically telling Lampard, we spent 80 million uh, pounds on this guy. He's a young keeper. You need to keep him in there. Uh, but Lampard, knowing he had to win this game, made what we all think is an easy choice, but really, or whatever a lot of people thought was an easy choice, what I think was not that easy because of, uh, uh, I mean, if you're just comparing the keepers, yeah, it's easier to start Caballero, but there are other factors at play, but just incredibly predictable. And then the other thing I have to say, um, Chris, is that NBC's coverage has become, so the first hour of their pregame show were all of these kind of taped features that were, I think, largely useless. Uh, and they were, um, things think, that had aired previously. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I think they spent maybe because they had like what two hours or two and yeah. a half hours of, of pregame. Uh, I mean, they must have spent an hour on the relegation implications and and what would have to happen for each side to stay up or or, or to go down. And same thing for the European um, qualifications too. And 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 yeah, a lot of that might have been pre-taped. But uh, I, I think it was more for the the you mean the new fan that was coming into watching this game or hadn't been watching soccer for the last few weeks and, and wanted an update. I, I'm not sure what else they could have could have talked about though, Kartek, as far as yeah, because pre-game. there's just not there. The, 
compelling storylines maybe aren't there uh, in terms of uh, some some of the other things. And then uh, obviously, then um, the matches were underwhelming. I don't think I can't think of anything that was very dramatic other than Yarmolenko's equalizer for West Ham and thinking, oh wow, and Pepe Reina was way off his line. Oh wow, maybe they can get another goal, but it didn't happen. Uh, West Ham uh, kind of. I think there was maybe at that point they just uh, they 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 let it go. Um, but Kartik, like, it, like like watching the West Ham match, the, if you had to count on any team to to get a goal back and and to win that game and, and to change uh, the whole you mean sphere of the relegation battle, West Ham's not the type of team that you would no, pin no. your hopes on, on on causing an upset or causing uh, goals to go in. But the, the one unpredictable thing I would say that happened on Sunday, on the Championship Sunday, was um, Bournemouth, uh, who are con- contemplating filing a, uh, a lawsuit against Hawkeye. Uh, for about that controversial goal that happened. Yeah, and so this is why, mm-hmm. quite frankly, when that match is going on and West Ham gets that equalizer. So I'm wanting, and I think I've said this on the podcast for several weeks, that I've, I've been rooting. I'm, I'm a great admirer of Eddie Howe. I was rooting for uh, Bournemouth to stay up. And uh, I, at that point, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know, if it is a one-point difference, we're never going to be able to live with this because of the controversy in that Sheffield United game where uh, Sheffield United had a clear goal, which the goal line technology Hawkeye didn't pick up on. Uh, maybe it's best if Villa uh, yeah. scores again against they Ast- win by three points, right? And we Against Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, for those yeah. listeners, oh, yeah. Sorry, we don't remember. It was against Aston Villa. So Aston Villa against Sheffield United got a point out of the game. Uh, you mean, what was it, in May? Um, and, yeah, and it was the first game after the first game game back. And if that goal had been allowed, which it should have been because Hawkeye should have caught it, and then VAR as a backup, as kind of a safety uh, mechanism, should have caught it too, that uh, if that result had stayed the same and if all, all other results had stayed, stayed the same, uh, Villa would not have gotten that point in that game and Villa would have gone down and Bournemouth, Bournemouth would have stayed up. It was that close. So I, I think that Bournemouth has a, a good case uh, against Hawkeye. Hawkeye apologized too when the the event happened. And that, that just goes to show how close it is. I mean, it was close, Championship Sunday. It just was not as exciting that, that we, we had hoped for. And I have to say that Bournemouth beating Everton was very predictable. Everton have been awful and i don't know what ancelotti is going to do this summer but this is a um this is i think an important thing for nbc because uh, you saw what happened with leicester they had a young team they didn't quite have the depth they fell away i think to keep the league competitive you do need a stronger everton side i think you probably need uh wolves to continue to be as, as strong as they've been and leicester to, to uh uh to to not sell their top players now actually as it turns out selling mcguire didn't matter because sanyako was so good this season but uh, all these other injuries that they had madison uh, in particular really killed them at the end of the season so uh, when we talk about nbc's coverage and the premier league i uh it's become more of a top six discussion the last few seasons on nbc that's and i i blamed the comcast buyout of sky as part of part of the reason but i part of the reason is just that the league has become more top heavy than it was uh before there's been greater separation between the top six and the rest of the league uh with the exception of lester breaking in this year wolves threatening but um i think that this is probably why it's happened as much as the sky situation which is that the league just is is 
I, I, people tell me it's not predictable. You don't know which of these top six are going to finish in the top six. Most of the people who tell me that are supporters of one of those clubs, mm-hmm. right? They're not supporters of anyone <laughs> in the rest of the league, right. um, and they're not, and they're 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 plainly not interested in the rest of the league. So they're saying, well, one year Spurs can finish second, and then then they finish sixth the next year. But that's that. It, it's still. I think it's a dilemma for NBC, and, and certainly uh, you could tell from their talent this year on set, particularly uh, Robbie Musto, who's very deep in his analysis and very, very good, that he was uh, very interested in Leicester City, uh, and that you could also see, sense that he wanted to talk a lot more about the, the Bournemouths and the Villas, and he got that chance on Sunday uh, than maybe he's been given the chance to during the course of the season. Yeah, it just seems like the last <clears throat> the last couple of years, especially that uh, NBC's coverage of the Premier League is is more hypey, is is more kind of uh, trying not not to sensationalize, but it is it seems to be a little bit faker. Uh, just um, you mean basically manufactured hype, essentially to try yeah. to make sure keep on coming back after the break, and, and you won't believe what happened next, type of thing. But yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's always it's always about a big club struggling or about Jose Mourinho. So yeah. it sometimes is part of the story of the big club struggling. So this is the thing that has bothered me about NBC the last few seasons is that you'll come back after the break and let's say it's a match where uh, uh, I, I don't know West Ham has defeated Manchester United. The conversation will all be about Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which I know Kartik uh, firsthand because when Swansea was in the Premier League and Swansea would beat say Arsenal. Or beat Man United, or uh, tie Chelsea, or beat Liverpool, and right after the commercial break, you come back, and it's like a half an hour on how poor Liverpool was, or how poor yeah. Arsenal, yep. or Chelsea, or Man United was, and then five minutes, and then Rebecca would chime in with like, "Well, we've got to uh, go back and, and give some credit to the other team, and they played really well, didn't they?" And it was like, "Come on, every single time." <laughs> yeah, right, but, right, right. But at, at the end of the day, I, I love the Premier League. I, I love watching it. I love the clubs. I love the La Liga. I love you mean uh, Serie A, Bundesliga, etc., etc., etc. But we're just offering our honest criticisms about kind of what we see, uh, and I think some viewers will see the same things too. Some some may not. Some may disagree with us. Some may agree. But but um, but there's no need to send us abuse on, on Twitter or social media. Um, we we do love the league. We do love the clubs. Next season, Leeds United. I, I'm hooked. I'm not a Leeds United supporter. But I will probably try to watch almost every single Leeds match because of that story of that club, the history, uh, the way that they play, the, the stadium. There's so much just to that one club. It's, it, that would hook me uh, to the Premier League next season. And, and American fans of the Premier League. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine who, uh, who's an Arsenal fan who's not really – who's kind of – you know, nodded off of English soccer, uh, English football lately, but it was a fan and really hardcore fan in the nineties and, and two thousands, uh, was telling me, my goodness, you know, the American Premier League fan that became a fan because of NBC, they don't know what's coming. And, and he, and he's excited even as an Arsenal guy. He's like, I'm going to watch more of the league because Leeds is back. And it's not even about Bielsa for him. It's about the supporters. It's about the history. It's about the culture. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing how, uh, Leeds is one of the few clubs in England with a national following and how uh, if you go, if you drive up the M1, you leave Watford or London, wherever you start on the M1 and go north towards uh, towards York, every little town you stop in, even as you pass places like Leicester and Derby and and, and, and Nottingham and, and Sheffield, you go right through Sheffield on the M1. 
every place you stop, you will find Leeds fans. That is not necessarily true about Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, what we perceive as the big clubs with national followings, which I think would be those three. Everton also tends to Everton and Tottenham would also be in that category. I think of having national followings. There are Leeds fans everywhere, and I think they're going to come out of the woodwork. Yep. They're going to be so proud, and it's going to add a character and flavor to the Premier League that we haven't seen in the NBC era. Well, Kartik, it's not just national, it's international. Because I, and I'm trying to find the story right now. We had a story on EPL Talk many years ago about, uh, I think it was the top 10 uh, biggest supported uh, English clubs worldwide. And, and Leeds was in that, in that top 10. They have a massive following from, I mean, from the 60s and 70s and, and 80s. Uh, and and as you know, Kartik, it's it's a it's a one club town. You mean if yeah. you live in Yorkshire and and you come from Leeds, which is a big city, that's the only club in town. And it have I mean, it's not just Leeds is one of the biggest cities in the country, by the way. So for those yeah. who aren't familiar, places that we 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 talk about uh, in the Premier League, the only places bigger than Leeds in the country are London, Birmingham, and uh, and Manchester, all of which have multiple clubs, right? And in the Birmingham area, you you also have not just you have a, a Villa and Birmingham City in, the, in in town, but you have got West Brom five six miles away. You've got Wol- Wolverhampton. You've got Wolves like fifteen miles away. Coventry's close. Uh, Leeds is is just phenomenal. That that has so much to do with their following is their location, but it's also the image they cultivated under Don Revy in the sixties and seventies, and then uh, quite honestly, I think being this kind of very gritty club in the nineties. Um, winning the last first division title before it became the Premier League, and then uh, all the young players they brought through in the late '90s and early 2000s. So uh, I, this is this is a very exciting development, and I, I'll be disappointed if NBC doesn't play it up. Uh, I, I, they just treat Leeds like any other newly promoted team, which I guess might be fair, but they're they're missing a huge opportunity. They're missing a huge opportunity to turn a, a top six fan base plus Everton, so let's say a seventeen fan base that they seem to cater to in their in their coverage to uh, to to uh, an eighth team. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it um, definitely. So, Kartik, uh, let's switch gears right now for a minute and let's talk about uh, your impressions and your observations of the NWSL Challenge Cup final, which was on over the air CBS, as well as uh, your honest feedback about MLS's back and and that TV coverage too. Yeah, so I think the MLS's back uh, coverage has been very good, Chris. Uh, I, I, it's. Uh, at times it's it's dragged because there have been so many games and you're getting exposed to the same commentators over and over again but uh the the matches have by and large been exciting i think uh uh, the storylines fairly compelling for those of us who follow the league uh for those who don't follow the league and we'll talk about this in the tv rating section it clearly has not been compelling enough uh the nwsl final i thought we were good um the production was excellent the uh, the the kind of level of what CBS is doing is is very comforting, very good. Their promotion for the NWSL final prior to the match it was it was on their news program CBS this morning. They were advertising it uh, during uh, the PGA Tour event on Saturday uh, afternoon, which was uh, which was great and and uh, led to a pretty good rating, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, the concern I have is that they didn't use the opportunity to really promote Champions League, and of course. They didn't. They hadn't scheduled, uh, or hadn't released their schedule of what they were doing with Champions League and Europa League until 
uh, the middle of this week, so after that match. But still, they could have promoted, hey, coming uh, August 7th to CBS All Access, or they could have done something like that. They really didn't. Uh, maybe their market research shows that it's, uh, it's, it's a different audience and that there's some truth to that, but there, there is certainly some overlap. But I thought they were very, very good. I think they produced this entire tournament well. They have uh, uh, made uh, women's soccer fans at least uh, very comfortable with the way they produce things. And it's um, it's a level of production that we haven't actually seen for women's soccer in this country. Uh, other than Lifetime did a really good job, uh, but I still think that there were some limitations in what they did. And this was uh, this was well done. So it's a, it's a great start for yes in the soccer space, and we'll see where they pick up uh, with Champions League on August 7th with it. Yeah, I was impressed by the production quality and just the look and feel of the CBS broadcast of the NWSL Challenge Cup. And the graphics and the production quality, it reminded me a little bit of NBC Sports. Very clean, very professional looking, and really kind of a picture-perfect day for NWSL. Just a beautiful, sunny weather, a good game of soccer. And like you too, Kartik, I was disappointed there were no promos for CBS's coverage of the Champions League. But not the end of the world, and maybe they were kind of waiting on a couple of final decisions, perhaps. Not sure. Um, as far as MLS is back, I would say that um, this competition, this MLS is back competition, has held my interest more than a regular season would. A regular season, I, I, we've talked about this before, I would have probably, after a few weeks, could have just basically kind of you mean, gone off and, and started watching something else or... Uh, wouldn't have kept my attention as well. But this tournament has. I've watched probably uh, several of the MLS games. What I would say is that um, I, I don't... I, I oh, This is hard to say, Kartik, but, but I think, first of all, let me give ESPN credit for everything that they've done as far as the uh, just a huge... Herculean task to get this production uh, looking as good as it as it is. Uh, we're basically, kind of play, playing this whole tournament within a bubble, uh, and, and actually just producing it and, and it going smoothly. But what I would say though is that with John Champion and Taylor Twelman, their style of commentary is uh, a lot of uh, a lot of silence. So Twelman especially will be quiet for quite quite some time. Won't say anything. And, and John's very, I mean, reserved, very, very English, uh, an old school classic commentator, which I love. I think John's one of the best in the business. But the combination of those two together, combined with the, the lack of noise from the actual uh, stadium, if you can call it that, from, from the ESPN Wide World of Sports, means that if you're watching this game, which now the games are nightly, right? So pretty much every night in prime time. If you're watching this game and you flip the channels and you come across this MLS game and you're in, say, in a bar or you're at home, there's a lot of silence. I mean, you'll hear, yes, you'll hear the, the, the coaches sometimes or you hear the players uh, man on or, you mean, watch the space or you mean, watch, you mean, whatever the, the commands are. It's a very quiet, very silent broadcast. And honestly, I think that um, the one thing that um, I, I realized that ESPN were trying to get authenticity in there and trying to have the opportunity for the first time ever for us to really listen in to what the coaches and what the players are saying. And while the novelty of that was, was good in the beginning and, and once in a while, especially during those, those tactics breaks, it's good to hear what the, uh, the coaches are saying. Sometimes it's interesting, sometimes not so much. But at the end of the day, Kartik, 
what that equates to is a rather boring uh, broadcast. And, and the games themselves are okay. I mean, most of the second halves are more entertaining. Um, the games are, are not so much the boring, but it's the production around it that makes it feel boring. And sometimes it's it's a tough watch, but usually I, I kind of try to watch, st- stick with it, stick all the way through to the end of the game. And oftentimes the game lives up to its promise and it might be a, a low-scoring game. It might, might be a 1-0 or, or a 2-1. Um, most of the games have been low-scoring, but I've enjoyed it. But but I'm a soccer fan. I'm a hardcore soccer fan. And I think for the casual sports fan, I think they would get bored real fast. All right, Kartik, let's move on to the uh, TV streaming news. I'll, I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, so we got the details of CBS's coverage this week for Champions League and Europa League beginning on August 7th. Uh, they will... They will stream every match on CBS All Access. You'll have two round of 16 matches, beginning with the Manchester City-Real Madrid second leg on August 7th, uh, and then uh, a match on August 8th. And then they will show the final on uh, uh, on CBS uh, CBS Sports Network. So it's August 7th and August 8th, one match on CBS, uh, one match each on CBS Sports Network, and then the final on CBS Sports Network. So that's three games on linear television and the rest of the matches will be behind the paywall for cbs all access however they are offering a 30-day free trial of cbs all access that will cover the period of time for the europa league and champions league knockout uh, tournaments these mini tournaments they're doing so uh, you have the opportunity to sign up uh, and watch those matches for free uh, with that free trial you do have to give your credit card information that's how it works um and uh you know uh, opt for a plan, whether it's being billed monthly without commercials or monthly with commercials, etc. cetera. Uh, but everything will be behind uh, the CBS All Access paywall, with the exception of the three matches I mentioned. Yeah. And, and for anyone who's been listening to this podcast or reading our, our articles at worldsoccertalk.com, this should come as no surprise that uh, CBS acquiring the rights to the UEFA Champions League and Europa League is a play for CBS All Access. I mean, they've got their streaming service, which, which has been around for quite some time. Uh, it's just a c- competition to Peacock, competition to, um, say, an ESPN Plus, or competition to, to a Netflix. This is another paid streaming service. The benefit of this one is it's just six bucks a month, and not only do you get access to every single Champions League and Europa League game, so if you're a cord cutter, this is really kind of a dream come true for that. But also you get Star Trek, you get a whole bunch of original programming and some uh, access to CBS channels, etc. So from the cord cutter perspective, it's a huge plus. From the TV watching perspective, this is a huge minus because, like you said, Kartik, um, just those two games um, um, earlier on CBS uh, Sports Network and then the final on CBS Sports Network. CBS wanted that final to be on, of the Champions League, to be on uh, the big CBS but uh, they, they had other um, commitments that uh, they couldn't put that game on that, that day. Next season, yes, they will put some of the games on over-the-air CBS. But for this season, with it being such a short turnaround um, to get these rights, because Turner dumped them, um, this is the best that CBS can do. But having said that, Kartik, is um, two interesting things. So, so uh, Univision the Spanish-language broadcaster. Now, they've gone all in. They've gone all in on the television side. So, for example, um, the games that are not being uh, televised in English, so like, say, Bayern against Chelsea, 
I mean, two huge supporter bases right there. Juventus against Lyon. I mean, just just as uh, two examples, uh, those games are only on the English side, only on CBS All Access. On the Spanish side, Juventus against Lyon and uh, Bayern Munich against uh, Chelsea is on uh, Galavision, which is a Spanish language cable uh, channel. So that's so those games will be available on television if you want to go down that path. Uh, albeit it'll be in Spanish, um, so you could always you know, mute or, or, or listen to it and enjoy the, the Spanish-language commentary. Uh, and in the final of the UEFA Champions League, um, like Kartik mentioned, CBS Sports Network, but on Spanish-language, it'll be on Univision, which is over the air, and uh, to do NA. Yeah, so let's let's keep in mind that this year the Champions League is competing with Major League Baseball, the Champions League uh, knockout stages and, and final Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and uh, golf, and 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 some important golf tournaments because the schedule has been has been altered. Next season, uh, and for the foreseeable future, this circumstance will never repeat itself. So expect more matches. Uh, as Chris said on CBS uh, over the air, this year it's a product of the circumstance, quite frankly, that they've had to go to CBS Sports Network uh, for uh, the bigger matches. All right. So in the new development, which is something that we kind of uh, teased uh, our listeners to on Twitter yesterday, but we said that CBS had a new development about the Champions League. And that new development, nobody else has picked up on. But CBS Sports Network will have the ability to switch to a more competitive game in order to best serve the soccer fan. Now, that was in the press release, so I followed up with CBS to ask them, is that what it sounds like? Does it sound like if we're if you're broadcasting Real Madrid against Man City and you've got the Real Madrid fans and the Man City fans uh, and the neutrals sitting down to watch this game uh, on CBS Sports Network, that for some reason, if the Juventus against Lyon game, which is happening at the same exact time, has some I mean, a goal thriller, it, it's it's a four three or uh, I mean I don't know Ronaldo gets sent off or whatever happens in that game. Does that mean that you would sp- switch the broadcast and actually switch from Real Madrid against Man City and go to, you mean, for the rest of the game, Juventus against Lyon? The answer is yes. And Kartik, that that's a big deal. That's for the as as far as I can remember, this is the first time this would have ever been put out there. Um, in the past, I mean, the Premier League did the bonus coverage once once a game was done. If there's a few minutes left of of, a, of another game, they would switch to it. And then uh, Fox Sports copied that and did that with the Champions League. So they were having bonus coverage of the Champions League after a game had ended and another one was uh, going on for a few more minutes. But this one, Kartik, what, what's your take on this one? Yeah, this is uh, uh, this is great, I think. Uh, but it, it will anger some of the big club fans maybe who, who, who set, settle in to watch uh, that match. But this is the way American sports typically has been covered prior to um, the advent of, of a million cable channels and ESPN being able to say, hey, if you want to watch the, uh, the, la- the, 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 the last uh, minute of uh, this college basketball game turned to ESPN news or whatever. Uh, but typically there were, there were, uh, and I'm, th- I'm thinking more, more from my experience with basketball than anything else, this sort of dynamic where you could switch, switch, uh, games. If one game was a blowout, um, and another wasn't. Now, of course, in, in, in uh, basketball, it's very rare if it's a 20-point game with five minutes to go that the other team can come back. You can always come back from 2-0, right, in, in, a, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in a football match, in a soccer match. So 
CVS is going to have to be careful about how they use it, but I do think it is an encouraging thing because how many times have you been sitting in front of a television during a Champions League match when all these matches are being played simultaneously and somehow Fox or or Turner have picked the worst game because the game has involved <laughs> the most marketable team? Manchester United or yeah. Liverpool. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, so, but- so I think it's a very positive thing potentially, but – it's going to depend how they use it. Well, that's the thing, though, Kartik. What if it's a Real Madrid against Man City and it's a nil-nil game? And, and you know as well as I do that sometimes nil-nil games can be nail-biters. It can be a really tense game. Uh, you mean kind of a really great battle in midfield where, where they're both um, equaling each other out. And, and no, no goals, but it could be a really almost like a chess match, a really, really good tactical game. Meanwhile, Juventus against Lyon, like I said, it, it's 3-2 to, to Juventus. Our three two to Leon say, and Ronaldo's been sent off, and you mean it's just absolutely pandemonium, and it's in the first half. You mean imagine what would happen if CBS Sports Network said, okay, now we're going to switch uh, broadcast of the Real Madrid game to Juventus against Leon, with Leon winning the Madridistas, it would be a riot. <laughs> you mean they would go absolutely. You know, I can't use the word, but they would go ape blank about that something like that. Yes, they they should be watching the game in Spanish, but I mean something like that could happen. And and, and that's my that's my concern is who's making that decision, and because that could have some negative implications too, Kartik. Yeah. Okay. So this is where we get back to the whole conversation with NBC, Chris. It is very possible that CBS, like NBC at the beginning of their Premier League uh, stewardship, were interested in talking about uh, smaller clubs, uh, in- interesting storylines, and, uh, and what was happening in general, what was more exciting in general. What ended up happening, as we've just spent a lot of time talking about on this, this show today, uh, after th- four or five seasons of covering the league, NBC defaulted to, okay, we know we, we know which teams get better ratings. We know which, which teams more people are interested in. We're just going to show those teams, talk about those teams, etc. cetera. Uh, CBS may be coming from the same perspective NBC did in 2013, saying, okay, uh, NBC – you know, did a primer on every team in the Premier League in, in 2013 and, and we talked up smaller clubs uh, for several seasons. CBS may be thinking, OK, this is a, a 16 team knockout competition, 32 team uh, knockout competition in Europa League, et cetera. Uh, and even next year, group stage with more teams. Let's uh, let, let, let's let's talk about all the compelling storylines, et cetera. And then eventually, because of the audience in the U.S. being big club heavy, being forced to default back to showing those big clubs and only talking about those big clubs. So I fear that might be what happens. But I like this approach. Uh, yeah. I, well, the, the other thing about this too, Kartik, is like you mentioned before too about some of the games about, uh, I think, in other sports and, and uh, CBS might switch one of those games to a, a lesser network and then show the more exciting game, you mean, in, in that, that main network. Well, in this case, those games are on CBS Sports Network. So, I mean, CBS is already booked with, with other programming. It's not as, I mean, they could say, okay, hey, go to CBS All Access and watch the rest of the game. But then for TV viewers, they might be like, ah, gosh, I have to subscribe. It's, yeah, it's only six bucks a month, but what a pain in the neck that is. A comment from one of our listeners, and this is Aram, who also writes for World Soccer Talk, also known as uh, Coachy Ball Games. And he says about CBS Sports Network, he says, this is bad news. 
CBS Sports Network is a non-entity. It's not even listed in Variety's 2019 list of the top 150 uh, top-rated channels. For context, FS2 came at, came in at 136, ESPN Deportes at 127, and the Tennis Channel was at 118. So having not watched CBS Sports Network before, I, I have access to it because I, I get it through Fubo. Um, I didn't realize that this is such a small channel. I guess, I guess in many ways, too, it was like the uh, NBC Sports Channel uh, before it became NBC Sports Network, where it was the out- outdoor channel. And it, I, that I never watched it either. And, and that one now is on the radar, now is in a lot more homes. But um, yeah, it's... Yeah, although the, the, the key difference between those two scenarios was when that was versus it was a Comcast owned channel, they did acquire NHL rights. So they were already showing the NHL. Uh, but for the rest of the audience, a non-hockey audience, it was a non-entity. I agree. But for CBS Sports Network in general is a non-entity. Uh, if you're interested in uh, uh, conference, you well, not conference, what's it called now? The American Conference in college football. If you want to watch a lot of UCF or USF football games in this state or basketball games, you end up watching CBS Sports Network. That's really that I, I can think of. The only utility for the channel among people I know is that if they if they're UCF or USF fans. Uh, which would include other schools, UConn, Cincinnati. Uh, and that's, by the way, Chris, you know, for the people who don't know college football or college basketball, those are that's a tier two conference. It's like having the Eredivisie rights in, in uh, mm-hmm. European football or having the rights of the Portuguese league, right? It's not one of the big the power five. We have power five conferences in, in, uh, in college sports, just like big five leagues in Europe. It, it, it corresponds very nicely. So that would be a lesser conference. That's the only utility I know about that channel. They're not Nielsen rated, I believe. So so, uh, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, this is the reality. I just know, as you mentioned, um, and I had, I had picked up on, the, the feeling was that they were boxed in because of the timing of this tournament. Next season will be very different. It'll be very different, but there's not going to be a ton of games on CBS over the air. Most of them are still going to be on CBS All Access, which is why I was saying it's, kind of, it's, it's really a play for CBS All Access, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, ESPN Plus uh, effectively I mean, streaming almost uh, every single game of the Bundesliga, uh, streaming almost every single game of Serie A, uh, you know, FA Cup, almost all of it is on, on the ESPN Plus too, but uh, yeah. But, but, and also, I have to mention that uh, let's just remember they shelled out a record amount for this rights fee. They have to recoup um, that yeah. in some fashion. So that's going behind the paywall. What makes this fundamentally different than Turner's is Turner had one and more expensive price, two and kind of an unproven product in terms of its streaming capabilities, and three CBS All Access with that subscription. Uh, if you want to watch Champions League, you're getting a whole bunch of other things. I'm, I, I I subscribed for NWSL. And I'm finding that there's a lot of interesting news programming. I, mean, I watch 60 Minutes anyway, but now I can watch 60 Minutes when I want because of it. And uh, and other stuff, uh, old old television shows, some movies. Uh, more than that's more than we have we get offered on Peacock for now. Yeah. Now maybe uh, as NBC Universal ramps up Peacock, there'll be more offerings there. But CBS All Access actually, I think, is uh, a pretty good deal from my perspective. So you're getting more than just the Champions League, which is 
different than Bleacher Report Live. You subscribe to Bleacher Report Live, uh, and you got nothing but uh, the Champions League and Europa League and, and a couple of you know assorted miscellaneous other um, soccer items. If you wanted to watch another sport or something else on the platform, you have to pay extra. So I, yeah. I think this is fundamentally very different. One, one more thing about BR Live, and I, and I feel sorry for the club TV channels. So I, f- I feel sorry for the Arsenal TVs, the Spurs TVs, the Liverpool TVs, MU TVs, is these clubs have their own channels which um, which are broadcast in the United States but over the last 10 years or so is that these these club channels get thrown on unfortunate really bad timing as far as which channels they go to so for a while a lot of these channels were available on Gold TV and Gold TV had been taken off what Direct TV had been very difficult to find so they kind of got those channels got lost there uh, at some point, they were on Being Sports, and we know that all, all of Being Sports's distribution problems that they've had. Uh, now they're on BR Live, and, and that's really the only soccer content that's available that's left on BR Live. But those uh, contracts will continue. So if you want to watch Arsenal TV or uh, any of the other TV uh, club TV channels I mentioned, uh, you would have to go through and subscribe to BR Live to get those. So it's, it's unfortunate because... Um, it's a shame, really, too, because a lot of those club TV channels uh, put out some good, good programming. If you're a hardcore fan of any of those clubs, I mean, it's worth subscribing to. But they always seem to get lost on different channels and never seem to get a really good distribution deal. And, and Kartik, before we move on to the TV ratings, just a couple of quick things, too. So the Scottish Premiership, the new season uh, starts uh, August 1st, starts this weekend. Um, I think there's some big games going on. I think you got your Aberdeens and Celtics and Rangers, etc. Uh, a lot of uh, interest in this league, probably a little bit more than usual, just because of the timing of it. Uh, with uh, most of the European seasons uh, finishing, um, the Serie A finishes uh, this Sunday. Uh, there's an opportunity. There's a window of time from August the first through to about, uh, well, Ligue 1, which is August 22nd, they come back. But most of the leagues in Europe don't come back until about September 12th. So there's an opportunity for like about five weeks of coverage of Scottish Premiership where other than competitions or other than Liga MX, there's not a lot of uh, football on. However, the Scottish Premiership still has not been able to find a broadcaster in the United States. Uh, from what I understand and, and speaking to them, um, they are in discussions with different broadcasters. Uh, and you know, here we are recording this podcast on Thursday morning with the season getting ready to start in just about 48 hours. There is no broadcaster that has been signed yet. So it's a last, another last-minute deal by the Scottish um, Professional Football League, which is a shame because this seems to happen every single year or every couple of years. It's a very last-minute uh, having said that, if you do want to watch uh, Celtic or Rangers or Aberdeen or any of the clubs in the Scottish uh, Premiership, oftentimes you can subscribe directly uh, to their club TV channel through the website. So, however, Kartik, I don't know if you know what the cost is, but Celtic TV is over, I think it's $230 a season to subscribe to get every single home and away game in the league. And there are large numbers of Celtic fans that subscribe to that channel. So if people complain about, I don't know, about CBS All Access at $6 a month or even ESPN Plus at $5 a month, um, imagine paying $230 a season uh, for your club, which many people do. So right now, uh, that's the latest on the Scottish Premiership. Uh, if there are any any updates or any developments, we'll be sure to post those at worldsoccertalk.com. 
And last but not least, looking to this the weekend too, we've got some big matches coming up. The FA Cup final is this weekend um, on Saturday, and that one is uh, Arsenal against Chelsea, exclusive to ESPN+. Plus you have the French League Cup final between PSG and Lyon on Friday, and that's on BN Sports. And then the uh, Ataca de Portugal uh, final on Saturday between Benfica and, and Porto, FC Porto. And that one's on uh, RTP International, which is available through Fubo TV. Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. And um, what's your take? And, and, and share, share some of these numbers, if, if, if you don't mind. What's your take on MLS's back and, and the numbers that we've been seeing for those games? Yeah, I'm really disappointed. the The highest number was the 284,000 for Seattle and LAFC. Predictable because of the matchup, not predictable because it was on FS1 and it also kicked off a little bit after 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. 284,000, good number for that match. However, most of the other matches were really poor numbers. Uh, there was a match uh, between Orlando and Montreal, which I watched, which was Saturday night at 8 p.m. on ESPN2, you know, prime prime slot, 181,000 viewers, uh, which is very, very low. 169,000 viewers on Sunday on FS1 for NYCFC Toronto. Uh, really uh, underwhelming number also for RSL San Jose, which was, by the way, a great match uh, on s- uh, Monday evening from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. on, on FS1. And uh, even the match on ESPN, on, on regular ESPN, uh, Columbus, on, on the big ESPN, Columbus, Minnesota, 8 p.m. on uh, on Tuesday was 240,000. So these numbers are very, very low. When you compare it to the NWSL uh, final on CBS, uh, which was 653,000, a record for a women's club match in the United States, and uh, the Premier League matches that, that have gone on. And even, uh, quite honestly, there are Serie A matches that have been on uh, at 1, 1 p.m. On, uh, on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon, not involving Juventus or any of the Milan clubs that get 180,000 viewers. So... Uh, I'm disappointed. I think that there has been a uh, a uh, a problem in the coverage of uh, of this sport from the mainstream media, from the mainstream sports media. You guys have heard it on the podcast the last few weeks, so I don't have to rehash all my points. I guess the ultimate takeaway from this is that MLS's uh, efforts to appeal to mainstream sports fans in the United States, casual sports fans as an American soccer product, uh, have failed. And they're going to have to uh, redouble their efforts to win back core football fans, the people watching the Premier League, the people watching the Champions League, the people watching uh, Serie A in the middle of the afternoon, etc. The people watching the NWSL, because uh, uh, unfortunately, their efforts to reach out to people who watch baseball, football, basketball uh, have failed. And I will say also, when I have uh, tried to champion MLS's causes with some of these uh, fans who follow me on Twitter or I interact with, they have been pretty condescending i mean there's more hostility to it now than there was a few years ago and that i don't know why what the reason for that is i don't get it there are a few um mainstream shout show uh sports commentators who who have stood up and said hey give nwsl give mls credit for for doing uh their job i saw tony reale did this on espn the other day so thank you to him Uh, but by and large it seems like there's uh uh, and ignorance, the ignorance of soccer is turning into hostility from some people. So I, uh, I, I don't get it, but uh, it is a reality. Whether, whether uh, we like it or not, it is a reality. And I think MLS is going to have to uh, walk, 
back some of their efforts to uh, to appeal to casual sports fans and get back to uh, to core football fans. You know, they meandered back and forth between these two strategies, Chris. We've talked about it at times. Yeah. They've wanted to be as European as the European leagues or as Lat- uh, Latino as the, as the Latin American leagues. Other times they wanted to be as American as the NFL. And uh, uh, they're going to have to pick. And I think they, the choice is pretty obvious now. Well, that's the big one, Kartik, is that, that several weeks ago when we were talking about uh, – the, the promise of MLS is back and, and uh, having relatively no competition against them, we would find out who their audience was. Was it the hardcore soccer fans that were craving soccer that wanted to watch these games? Or was it the, the mainstream audience, the casual sports fans who, yeah, maybe they, they support a local MLS team, but they really enjoy watching NFL and NBA and, and MLB, etc. And um, that was the big question mark because we did, really didn't know I, I thought their audience is more the casual sports fan. And um, what we've seen from these numbers is it's pretty much the same as a regular season game. It, it hasn't changed. So it's, I, would, I would imagine it's the same audience. The same people that tune in to watch MLS games during the regular season are pretty much the same people that are watching MLS's back. And the hardcore sports fans, the hardcore soccer fans, are not watching this in large numbers. And neither are the, the, the mainstream sports fans, the casuals that uh, don't really pay much attention to MLS. So that audience is really a small number. I mean, it's not, it's not, it doesn't seem to be growing, maybe by small percentages, but it's not really growing in large amounts. And for the most part, that's the tough struggle that MLS has, has though, Kartik, is that, uh, and you've seen this too, is that it's very difficult to go ahead and attract the hardcore soccer audience. And a lot of it, to be honest with you, comes back to promotion relegation, comes down to the authenticity of how the league is set up and operated. And I think for the most part, most hardcore fans would rebel against Major League Soccer just, just because of that. Now, having watched a lot of these games, I mean, the quality, the, the teams that are left in the tournament, the quality is high. I mean, so Columbus against Minnesota was a great game, great tactical chess game between two teams playing good football. Uh, Orlando's been playing really well. LAFC's been playing well. Uh, Cincinnati's been doing great. Portland, I mean, so the, there are good teams with good football players, uh, not a lot of standout stars, but... The level of football is is good. It, it's it's very good. So, yeah. but th- and it's gotten better as the tournament's gone on. I mean, the totally. unevenness. Just, just like yeah. this Premier League, everything else that restarted the first week, week or two was kind of rough, and it's gotten better. But but then long term though, Kartik, that it paints a worrying sign because of you mean the next TV deal is coming up pretty soon. Uh, we'll start in twenty twenty three. The negotiations and bidding on that's probably going to happen if if not later this year, uh, next year definitely. And um, that audience, it, it's really, I mean, MLS is going to be riding on, on the, the coattails of the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team uh, going into the, uh, the 2022 World Cup and going into the 2026 World Cup, especially with it being hosted in the United States and, and, and North America, is that with MLS rights attached to the U.S. men's national team and what that U.S. men's national team numbers could develop into and could promise that's that's the bit the big one. But if MLS had been a separate deal with just MLS TV rights, I, I'd be very concerned. But I think they should be okay. Yeah, I, one, one other note on this, though, I would say is that there's I think seems to be uh, a growing uh, uh, a growing feeling that uh, MLS is uh, uh, 
is not essentially changing in terms of its uh, its approach and its uh, marketability, right? So uh, I think that people are, are kind of into stereotypes in terms of um, w- what they perceive MLS as. So they might turn on a match and say they're predisposed to say, "Ah, oh, this is this is this is terrible," or they're predisposed to say, "This is great. This is as good as anything in Europe." And until those attitudes are softened. Uh, perhaps uh, the, the numbers aren't going to get any better, even among core football fans. Yeah, I, I don't see those, uh, those attitudes changing at all for a long time. It would take years of um, outreach and years of doing things differently uh, to really change people's viewpoints one way or the other. I, I went into this tournament with um, an open, open mind, open perspective, saying, okay, let me just watch this game. And some of the games early on in the tournament were pretty poor, um, especially the physicality wise and just just the quality level, but as the teams have been knocked out and now we're down to, I mean the the last group of teams um, in the quarterfinals, it, it's been good. It's really been really I, good. I, I also have to point out that this is sometimes what happens in these international tournaments, right? Where the group stage are some dire games, teams are playing for a point, they're overly physical, and then the knockout stage is open, free flowing football. Uh, the knockout stage matches of this MLS is back of. Every single one I've watched has been entertaining and good. Yeah. Uh, the group stage, I would say probably less than half of them were. So, um, yeah, I, 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 but that doesn't seem to be changing uh, attitudes. It isn't helping the ratings. No, no knockout stage match as of our, us recording has gotten the same numbers as, uh, as some of the early group stage matches. So, uh, uh, and obviously baseball has started. And I, uh, I didn't realize so many Americans were still into baseball, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, 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 I'm kind of shocked that uh, I mean I, I thought of that as a dying sport for years. I mean I stopped watching uh, baseball in 2005, 2006 time period, and, and really haven't given it a second thought. Uh, I, I thought, especially among young people, uh, it was a, it was a dead sport, and I guess I was wrong about that. All right, listen to Mailbag, and we've got a bunch to get through. So David Roberts says, on your last podcast, you discussed the popularity of club soccer versus the national team, and it got me thinking. I know this is a hypothetical, but I wonder if this could be something that we can blame on the original NASL. NASL. Aside from those teams not taking part in the US Open Cup, aside from maybe the Cosmos and some exhibition games, they really really didn't do much internationally, did they? And... um, so I guess um, he wonders how different the league's fortunes and, that, and for that matter, the, the sport as a whole could have turned uh, into something like the International Champions Cup or something like that that existed then. And Kartik, that was a long time ago. I, I, I know you watched uh, those games, but I don't know about your take on yeah, that. Yeah, I, I agree with Dave, actually, because uh, this is one of the things that bothers me about the reform anti-MLS crowd, reformer anti-MLS crowd in the U.S. They have this very romantic notion of what the NASL was. Uh, it isn't anything. It, 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 it was less relevant in terms of its uh, its adherence to international norms than MLS is, even though they think MLS is this rogue league. Uh, NASL didn't participate in CONCACAF Champions Cup. They didn't participate in the U.S. Open Cup. They would create their own international tournaments uh, to showcase the Cosmos or showcase the Rowdies and the Strikers in the Pan Am tournament. I famously talked about because I, I was a ball boy, and that's when I discovered Manchester City. But um, they, they were this self-contained kind of closed league with their own rules that I think skewed perceptions of the American public into thinking soccer could be organized in a closed fashion 
the same way American sports are. So I blame a lot of it on, on the original NASL. And, and there are all these Cosmos fans who champion Pro-Rel, champion open soccer, who have this very wrong view. I can't, I can't even describe it as anything, yeah, uh, of, of what the original NASL was. If anything, MLS is, is much more integrated in, in, in the international football community and the norms of international football than uh, the NASL was. That having been said, MLS still has a long way to go and there are a lot of things elements that are missing in MLS that we need to see. But uh, yeah, great, great, uh, great um, uh, thing, Dave. Great, great point. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I, I want to add to Kartik too, that we forgot to mention is that uh, in one of the games this week in MLS's back, I think it was the Portland game is during the coverage on ESPN is that uh, they went to VAR and we were able to see and hear what the referees were saying to each other. So you had the referee talking to the VAR officials and the VAR officials. We could actually hear and listen to what they were saying. And as they went in and replayed that video, uh, the referees saying, OK, hey, uh, I want to keep an eye out for number 17 and number 22. Uh, I'm going to watch them, see what they do. And yep, offside, offside, definitely offside and co- confirmation of that. That is a huge development, and that is something that uh, uh, Taylor Twelman mentioned on uh, on uh, Twitter that uh, they plan they're planning on doing more of that. So that's uh, that'd be that's fantastic. So as far as being trailblazers, that is one great example of uh, Major League Soccer leading um, and and being really a, a leader from around the world in, in that because that gives a lot more transparency and would probably uh, appease a lot more fans if they could hear and listen to what the referees are saying so we can better understand why decisions are made a certain way. Uh, but a huge development right there. Mark Dowdy says, I'm about 25 minutes into the, the most recent podcast. and wanted to make a comment about the championship, the EFL championship and ESPN+. Plus. As a Spurs fan, there have been times where I have chosen to watch a EFL championship match over a Tottenham game. I'm not sure if that speaks to the football played by Spurs or the quality of the championship. Probably probably a little bit of both. ESPN definitely uh, missed an opportunity on the final day of the EFL EFL Championship. I wish they would have put all the games on ESPN Plus. I hope they do better next year. I'm not sure how long they have they have the championship, which I, I think is for a few more years at least. Uh, Kartik, uh, he says there is a way to watch multiple games on the ESPN app on the Apple TV app. That's how I managed to watch both the Serie A and the championship and Florida State at the same time. I think it was last year when FSU baseball and women's basketball or soccer had big matches, and I watched both. It's hard. To, uh, to find, but it's called multicast. Hover over your last, over your first event. Hold the select button, and a multicast menu uh, should pop up, allowing you to select two to four games. Yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, feedback, and I actually tried it uh, yesterday because uh, Serie A was going on at the same time as uh, the Swansea. Uh, the Swansea Brentford match, and thank you for that tip, uh, pro tip. Uh, you're not the only one who wrote in this week with that, uh, and it worked. So uh, I'm now set up uh, with ESPN Plus on Apple TV. It, it, it works now. As it turns out, the Serie A matches weren't very good yesterday afternoon. For my, they weren't to my liking, and the Brentford Swansea match was. So uh, ended up switching back to just the full screen view. But yeah, it's 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 doable. So thank thank you again for that. Alan Huffman says, I, I, I agree with you guys about the coverage of soccer in America. I think one of the first signs was ESPN moving ESPN FC to ESPN Plus. 
between the ESPN FC guys, Sebastian Salazar, Herc, uh, Gomez, Twelman, etc., ESPN has so many options for good coverage. They could incorporate into Sports Center and other shows, but they rarely take any advantage of it. Sadly, I think a lot of the talking head shows on ESPN, such as Pardon the Interruption, Around the Horn, etc., don't have people who are knowledgeable enough about soccer to cover it in both of your opinions would it be better to, for them to have an uneducated discussion about soccer or not cover cover it at all since they don't have the knowledge enjoy listening to the podcast thank you for all the hard work you guys do i think it'd be better to have um nobody talking about soccer than an un- uneducated opinion but really though is that a lot of these talking heads uh, need to get outside of their heads and outside of the bubble and watch other sports and learn about other sports uh, i think some of the talking heads have done that uh we've seen where i forgot the one that was used to be on fox or nbc where he'd interview some of the the soccer guys like say at lalas or um usually lalas and then he'd say like hey Tell me more about the game. I, mean, I, I don't understand this. How does this work? And, and, and even um, Joe Scarborough on MSNBC, who's a massive Liverpool supporter, uh, is somebody that has had guests on his show talking about soccer and learning more about it. And at the same time, while he's learning more about it, uh, the mainstream viewer is learning at the same time. So I think those, those are positives, definitely. Next up is JP. JP says the bias against soccer goes deeper than just on sports programming or talk shows. It permeates everything, as does the pro football American agenda. As a first generation American whose family weren't uh, particularly uh, NFL fans, um, I think I have a different perspective than someone whose family was here for multiple generations. I grew up liking basketball and hockey the most and honestly didn't care for the NFL at uh, all that much. However, after being brainwashed, for lack of a better word, uh, through all media about how exciting and important football was, I eventually succumbed and became a fan. NFL is incorporated into sitcom uh, sitcom plots mentioned on morning talk shows like Good Morning America and the like. Obviously, football is often a major backdrop of many movies, whether high school or college and so on. I'm not sure if this is a coordinated effort or just an unconscious uh, bias of writers, but I can easily see why the media would want to push the everyone is watching football, so so should you view. Television programming is dependent on how much advertising they can sell. Advertisers know television is the most effective way to reach a critical mass of people. In this symbiotic relationship, both the media companies and advertisers see football as the perfect delivery method for uh, program promotion and ad space. With the game's constant stop-starts, breaks, delays, and so on, it is more of a three-hour-plus commercial with football interruptions rather than a three-hour football game with commercial interruptions. In the same vein, soccer is a terrible product to sell advertising around. Not many stoppages for the network to promote other programming. No captive breaks to insert advertising breaks. While there are kit sponsors and advertising around the field... Um, this isn't controlled by the media company, company televising and cannot be monetized. Ironically, we have no problem being bombarded with commercials every few minutes during uh, NFL games or creating two-minute warnings for the sole purpose of adding another commercial break. But soccer clubs selling ad space and kits is, is considered selling out. The media, again, not just sports programming, pushes the soccer is unimportant or boring narrative to help keep football, uh, NFL football king. 
Something similar is also seen with hockey. It's often portrayed in the media as a game played by toothless foreign goons. But of all the major sports, soccer and hockey have the most action and least breaks. Lack of breaks is bad for the advertisers who don't care about uh, who, who don't care. More action is good for sports viewers. JP, uh, hitting a home run out of the park. Yeah. Uh, I agree 100 percent. And, and maybe that is the root of, of all this is that because when you have these sporting uh, these, these talking heads on sports shows, who are their paymasters? Their paymasters are the, the Foxes or ESPNs or NBCs or wh- whoever the big broadcaster uh, is. And who are their paymasters? Oftentimes, it is the advertisers, the sponsors. Uh, those companies would, would go out of business without, uh, without those um, advertisers. Yeah, and there's also a social stigma attached to not following American football, particularly you and I live in the state of Florida. It's really bad. And people question me all the time. How can you not watch the NFL? How I, like, I'm into more interesting stuff. And, and uh, my, my uh, sole uh, interest in the NFL now is that matches on CBS, games on CBS end in time so I can watch 60 minutes at a proper time. Right? That's my only interest in the league at this point. But there is a social stigma uh, which may have come from subliminal brainwashing through the years uh, attached with uh, if you don't watch the NFL, somehow you're a social outcast to a lot of people. It, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got some more of that in the comments, too. I think some more, more comments about that. Uh, next up is RJ Hawkins. And uh, RJ says, great job on the podcast. Uh, your slice in the U.S. soccer news world is unmatched. Historically, it was easy to be critical of Turner's attempt at coverage of the Champions League and Europa League over the past two seasons. I'm curious to know what are the five things that CBS needs to do to be successful in the coverage from your seat. So, RJ, uh, just in the interest of time, and we've got a bunch more uh, comments from some of the other listeners, too. We, I, I'm not going to do a five, and Kartik probably uh, is not going to do a five either. But what I would say is the most, I, I guess, the danger before any of this happens, before CBS broadcasts a single game of the UEFA Champions League, the number one issue that people are going to have, which I can already predict there's going to be a huge uh, backlash on, is accessibility. And everyone loves ESPN Plus. Everyone talks about how great ESPN Plus is, which it is. And CBS All Access is just a dollar more uh, per month. Um, although CBS All Access does not have the same love, lovey feeling, lovey dovey feeling that uh, sports fans has yet. It, it may do in the future. But the number one issue is going to be accessibility. And there's going to be people complaining on social media and everywhere else about how CBS sucks and how it was so much better with Fox and so much better with Turner, at least, even um, because the games were at least available on television. And that's that's the issue that they have. And it's it's a change. It's I mean, they're, again, banking on CBS All Access. So at the end of the day... I, I think I think that they're, they they have issues and it's going to be problematic. Um, what they need to do really is to really have a good product and try to stay out of it as much as possible in terms of doing the international feed, letting IMG do the production and just broadcasting the games, and then for next season, then looking to enhance it and and add uh, different talent and add different things that are going to interest people, but. Um, it's going to be difficult to be successful um, just because it's not on television as much as uh, we've seen in previous years. What about you, Kartik? Do you have any uh, words of wisdom for for CBS? Yeah, I think that they... 
uh, I think they just really need to uh, stick to the basics with their coverage. They're good at covering the sports they cover. They did a good job with NWSL. Just keep going with that, uh, and they'll be fine. I mean, they're going to be an improvement over Turner, I think, in most people's eyes. John Average Geek says, uh, pardon, the interruption is the worst. Tony is on record as not liking soccer. Mike is neutral and has attended EPL games and raves about it. Both have said segments that cover soccer and hockey. Uh, People change the channel. Greg says, uh, do you have a subscription to The Athletic? Is it worthwhile? I would be interested in hearing this discussed if you think it falls under the under the World Soccer Talk remit. Thanks for your work. And Greg, so as somebody who uh, covers the industry of soccer, focuses more on the media side, is uh, oftentimes um, I'm, I'm researching, seeing what's happening in terms of trends, in terms of numbers, in terms of developments. I can honestly say I've never once had a need to subscribe to The Athletic. There's never been anything in there that's interest me. Now, if I'm an Arsenal supporter or if I'm a Liverpool supporter or if I'm a fan of the Bundesliga and I want to read about uh, what uh, Rafa Honigstein is saying, that changes things because then the coverage that they have on Arsenal and Liverpool and uh, the Bundesliga, just as three examples, is probably unmatched. So I would be interested in subscribing to The, the Athletic uh, they don't have really uh, a good uh, any coverage of Swansea City. I mean, it's really really niche, so I have no interest in it. Um, so for me, it's it's a thumbs down, uh, just because there's nothing there of interest to me. Even though I'm a hardcore soccer fan, Kartik, what about what about you? I've not subscribed yet. I've been tempted to subscribe, uh, and I think the MLS reporting uh, and USL reporting is is top notch, and they've got some of the best guys, Paul Tenorio, Jeff Ruder, and others, uh, writing for them on the U.S. side. I might do it, but again, I'm not as into transfer rumors and those sorts of things as I used to be. Uh, I'm not as concerned about that, and there's other news sources that seem to always pick up uh, the athletic reports, such and such, and, and, and happens pretty quickly in disseminating information. I have to be honest. I mean, I think MLS themselves does such a good job in terms of their uh, their kind of semi-independent media operation that then pushes out stories and says, hey, in The Athletic, there's this rumor without confirming it or or not confirming it that uh, because I get all the MLS press releases and and, 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 uh, uh, collateral material, I feel like I'm covered. Now, with USL, I'm missing something. So that's – and Jeff is more on top of the USL beat than anyone other than maybe uh, Nipun, so uh, a former uh, co-host of this show. So – I, uh, I, I'm tempted, but I haven't yet. Next up is Walter. Walter says, uh, brilliant, listening to you both discussing European football matches. I listened, I've listened. i listened to you both for a few years now. I also began following, since it was called uh, back in the day, EPL Talk. Many thanks for all the information regarding streaming apps and channel changes for football. Uh, please keep me updated on new TV rights for the Belgium Pro League. I could listen to you both all day. Many thanks. And yeah, so the Belgium Pro League was one that was under BR Live. And with BR Live not broadcasting any uh, club soccer or international soccer anymore, that's one that's fallen through the uh, through the cracks. Uh, there's a possibility that Eleven Sports might be interested, uh, but nothing confirmed yet. So I'll keep an eye on that one. And if uh, if and when that does happen, and, and an announcement is made, we'll be sure to cover that on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Kyle Green says, I was listening to your show today, and, and, and as far as the television ratings, I have my own take. The short answer is, outside of M- MLS, you can't 
put it in anyone's box. I agree that MLS numbers are hurt by lack of exposure through the generic sports media. I remember ESPN afternoon talk shows criticizing soccer during Euro 2008. This is crazy because this is on a channel that they paid to screen it. Next, this overlaps with MLS and non-MLS. I grew up in the Detroit area and didn't really get into club soccer until after France 98. I started following England after the US was eliminated. Next season, I saw the, the last day of the old EPL show on Fox Sports. Then I got drawn in through a friend to watch the United against Newcastle FA Cup final and the Champions League final against Bayern. I started watching the league the next season and got hooked. I became a Liverpool fan despite my United supporting friend uh, after realising that Michael Owen, who I had seen at France 98, was a Liverpool player and learning more about the club's history. I studied history in college. My Anglophilia is more due to football than the other way around. In my personal situation, I didn't watch um, MLS before this and the closest teams were in Columbus or Chicago. And there is an antipathy in sports between Michigan and Ohio and Chicago and Detroit. So given the choice of following limited coverage of an adjacent MLS team or Liverpool, I chose the Reds. Now that I live in the Seattle area, I have went to, uh, I've, I've gone a few times, but it's an hour and a half to get to the stadium. And it just never um, uh, kind of grew my passion the way that Liverpool did. As far as a non-MLS, I would say it's both access and bandwidth. I like soccer and will watch a match if it's on, uh, but on the West Coast, unless I DVR it to make a point of watching it, it's usually a big match. This is the Champions League semifinals onward, etc. Next up is um, Gonzalo. Gonzalo says, I have three points to make in reply to the podcast and some of the replies in the comments section. First of all, one of the main reasons the talking heads on ESPN and FS1 don't talk about soccer is that quite simply, these guys don't know anything about the beautiful game. These guys didn't grow up with soccer and are likely completely ignorant about it outside of hearing about Messi and uh, Ronaldo. As uh, Disco George pointed out in the comments section, without a knowledgeable guest to help them out, it would be a train wreck hearing these guys dis- discuss soccer. They know it so well, so I'm surprised. Um, I'm not surprised they sh- they would steer clear of discussing soccer during the daily shout fests. Secondly, the other and likely the pr- principal reason the talking heads don't bring up soccer in their programs is that as American sports fans have come to bitterly accept it, the average American sports network viewer doesn't want anything to do with MLS. With the limelight all to themselves, the MLS's back tournament failed to get big ratings. I realize this is a vicious circle. If you don't promote MLS on the shout fest, how can the ratings go up? But since the ratings are so low, why bring up MLS and risk the viewers clicking on their remotes to go to another channel, or even worse, turning their TVs off? Finally, I want to discuss the conspiracy theory about, among some American fans that American football is being involuntarily shoved down the sports network viewers' throats. I know that most of the people who listen to the podcast are huge soccer fans, and many of you uh, only live for this sport, but I have to burst your bubble. American football is king in this country, and despite its many flaws, will continue to be king for the foreseeable future. American sports fans are addicted to the NFL and college football. They have craved college football for over 100 years and pro football for nearly 50 years. 
the ratings don't lie. This is not. This is why the talking heads will continue to talk about American football nonstop, even non-game events such as the NFL draft or even the annual NFL schedule unveiling get high ratings. Sorry, American soccer fans. Time to join the sad club of baseball, NBA, hockey, and auto racing fans who bitterly resent American football taking up all the oxygen in the room that we call American sports. Um, I'll react to that by saying uh, there is there is a point in there that Gonzalo's making, which which I agree with, and uh, I inherited the disdain of American football from being a college basketball fan, uh, that being my primary sport, and soccer was always there with it, and then it's it, 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 it's eclipsed it in the last fifteen years. But being a college basketball fan and being very resentful of college football fans and college football fans who had uh, even people who were supporters of a, a school in college football who had contempt for the basketball program. And it, it was appealing to a completely different demographic of people. And I had felt at that time, and I would have arguments with a lot of my friends then who now have, by the way, come around to my point of view, that there was a certain, certain subliminal brainwashing with football that was going on that, and, and some sort of negative uh, connotation toward basketball. Um, so I can completely understand what he's saying, that the, the, the fans of the other sports have that same view towards American football, because uh, as someone who was primarily a basketball guy before I became a soccer guy, uh, I felt that. I mean, my hostility towards American football is just an extension of my previous uh, basketball fandom, uh, and it's now mm-hmm. intensified because of soccer. All right, three more comments to go. Raymond Roscoe says, a big reason I believe there is a lack of coverage of soccer by U.S. media is because there are no playoffs which seems very foreign to American sports fans. Uh, Paul Kelly says, what if soccer was the main sport in the U.S. as it is in many other countries? Then the best athletes might have played soccer. Imagine the will to win of a Michael Jordan, the relentless pursuit of a Singletary, the speed of an Iverson. Could not the U.S. have won a World Cup by now? My take on that, Kartik, is that, uh, sure, I mean, hypothetically, they could have done... But if you look at the way that soccer is organized in this country from the grassroots level uh, through to youth soccer to high school, college and beyond, is it's completely fractured. It's, it's completely conceivable that a star athlete, a star soccer player, someplace in America or many places in America could get overlooked because his parents may not be able to afford the the pay to play system and, and to get his kid in, into a school uh, or into yeah. into a team and could get completely overlooked and then just gives it up and, and moves on to something else. I, I uh, yeah, I, and I agree with that. I think uh, of the three names you listed, Paul. Uh, I'm not sure how good of a football or soccer player Jordan or Singletary would have been. Allen Iverson, you say that, my mouth waters. My goodness, I think he would have been phenomenal at this sport. Uh, and uh, I think he, 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 uh, he also has the body type to play soccer. You know, if I, if I look at Traore, uh, on, uh, who used to be on Burrow, now on Wolves, uh, he reminds me a lot of Iverson and just his, 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 the way he, he moves, uh, the way he, 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 he plays the game. So, yeah, actually, the Iverson one I like. <laughs> by the way, of those three, but much more than the other two. And last but not least, uh, Nick says, I was wondering if there's, an, if there's an announcement yet on who has the TV rights for the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying with the announcement this week of the new format. I'm hoping to be able to watch the matches coming up uh, starting in this October. Also, is there any news of, of any uh, US 
broadcaster picking up the rights for the Asian Confederations World Cup qualifying matches. And Nick, uh, in answer to both of those questions, no, nothing yet. Um, what happens is that um, the the home country uh, that's playing those games in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying has the rights and will sell those rights on an individual basis to broadcasters in the United States. And it's completely conceivable that we could have a a be in sports or um, I mean, some on Fox, some on ESPN, some on who knows, um, I mean, another channel, even a streaming channel or a, um, I don't know, CBS All Access could be acquiring it. So as far as when and where those rights will end up, it goes through a bidding process and we won't know uh, for several months. And same thing with Asian Confederations World Cup qualifying matches. It's unlikely that a U.S. broadcaster is going to pick up those rights unless they're being given away for free or unless those um, those games are being streamed on YouTube or someplace uh, to a global audience outside of those Asian countries. So it's not looking good on that part. Yeah, then the other threat is that they end up on the zone. And that would be, you know, very difficult for, for financially for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And, and let me add, to Kartik as far as CONMEBOL and this is something that uh, we were getting ready to report on just as soon as the coronavirus uh, outbreak happened in the United States but I held off on reporting on it because of all the games being delayed Um, but we know, I know I haven't reported it yet in an article I will at some point for the World Cup qualifying games for CONMEBOL is that those games have been acquired by a pay-per-view service so to watch those games if you want to watch um I mean, uh, Argentina, Brazil, Peru, etc. Each of those games, it's $100 to watch online. And that's the only way to watch those games is you you have to pay $100 per game to watch. We're going back, way back in time, in the time machine, back to the the old days of uh, uh, PPV. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. Thank you for sticking with us in this podcast. It's been a long one, but uh, some great feedback. Uh, let us know what questions, uh, feedback, or comments you have. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, thanks for your patience. Thanks for sticking with us for this long podcast. And... Uh, for listeners and, and around the world uh, watching games this weekend, a lot to look forward to, but uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.